Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 13. It's Eric Marshall here. Uh, we had some problems with recording this episode, which is why it's a little bit uh, late coming out. It's um, We had a lot of static and some hum. I took care of a lot of it, but there will be a couple parts during the podcast where you'll see that I had to uh, cut and re-record um, uh, a little bit. If this is your first time listening to That's a Wrap, this is certainly not the, the best episode um, in terms of quality. Uh, audio quality, but uh, we had so much fun recording it, and we had, uh, and we just really liked the content so much that we thought we'd put it out there, warts and all. But it's definitely listenable. There just uh, there are just a couple parts where there's a lot of static that creeps into the into the recording. Uh, enjoy. So today on episode thirteen, we're going to be talking about uh, Skyfall a year later and everything Bond in segment one. And uh, in segment two, we're going to be talking about kids these days, the way people watch film in the cinema, people's attitudes towards films, um, and stuff like that. It should be really interesting. So uh, with episode 13, I am Eric Marshall. And I am Mick Schlegel. And I am Chris Cullen. We are three guys with PhDs who talk about film, media, and culture. So guys, here we are, pickups, before we do everything else. Um... I saw World's End today. <laughs> oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I finally squeezed it in. It was uh, it was an eleven thirty show. It was great because there is only one other person in the theater. Oh, so it was uh, yeah, it was me and Rebecca and someone else, and it was great. I tried film? to I tried to dare her to go sit next to the other person, like right <laughs> next to this huge auditorium, but she wouldn't do it. Uh, the film was good. It was. Um, you don't sound thrilled. It was. I, I'm glad I saw it. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I think I need to digest it a little bit. But it was like, like, it was like two different movies, maybe even three. And um, I mean, I really like Shaun of the Dead, as you guys do. I like um, Hot Fuzz, and you guys know my favorite film is Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim, although it doesn't fit into this, Yo, you know, into this. Trilogy, but yeah, it was great. It was really good. Uh, it, some of it dragged uh, towards the end, and some of it didn't make any sense. But who cares? It was hilarious. It was really funny. Okay, it was so really, that, really that's funny. My big question. Yeah, it's yeah. Funny. Okay. It was. I was laughing, especially the first half of it. I was laughing so hard, and uh, I think Simon Pegg does a really good job. He does, uh, you know, as kind of the main character. He does. He does a fine job. So when you said it's good, and you weren't like really singing its praises. It's because you're still the the verdict's out on exactly what you saw. Yeah, maybe. I, I feel like it's not, you know, when you saw Shaun of the Dead, that was fresh. That was different. You know, that and even the TV show Spaced, right. that was a lot different because it was something you'd never seen before. And watching this today, he does a lot of, uh, for example, he does a lot of wipes with people walking by to wipe from one shot to another, which I've seen a million times in Scott Pilgrim already. Sure. Uh, the, sure. the whole um, Spielberg's bitten jaws on the beach. That's one of the, that's where sure, that Sure. Sure. That's probably where it comes from. It's very conspicuous though with him and, you know, and, and, and you know, the, 
the other thing is I think this film suffers in a way from timing because uh, that movie This Is The End came out earlier right. this summer and they're very similarly themed mm-hmm. but they're very different films and they're both very good in very different ways. Yeah, I kind of got a little confused yeah, yeah. with World's End, Land's End and, 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 well, and sort of the same cachet of... Yeah, you have like, the same titles, right? Yeah. The, the World's End and This Is The End and they're the, kind of the same premise as yeah. well. So. And yeah, sort really of targeted at the same audiences, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, possibly, this is I this is inherently uh, British, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, very very British and you know, British art house cinema. That, yeah, definitely. I think the the main audience for this is people who like Shaun of the Dead and okay. uh, Hot Fuzz. You know, um, but but I, audience, I mean, I'm really targeting an age, not a, not. Oh, when I say audience, because it, I mean, weren't most of the actors in both films sort of like of that generation the same same generation like simon Pegg and nick frost are around the same age as uh, james franco type is because isn't he in the ending film or what yeah you know, i they sort of targeted the same. i don't know because the premise is that these guys uh graduated high school in 1990 and now they're coming back to do a uh pub crawl in the one 90 Wow, yeah. that makes them 40 or so. Yeah, they yeah. did the pub crawl in 92, I think it was, if I remember correctly. And yeah, exactly. It makes them like 40. So, and they're trying, the main character is trying to relive his past glory. Whereas this is the end. I mean, it's like they're still young ish Hollywood okay. actors. Okay, and you know, you. Seth Rogen and Michael Sarah are in there. And, uh, you know, okay, uh, right. so probably different demographics. They're both worth seeing. I think I like I liked them both. They're both silly. And on the other end of the spectrum, I finally saw. Uh, I think this movie came out last year. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Did you guys see that? I heard of it. Yeah, with Tilda Swinton yeah. and uh, John C. Riley. It is. Yeah, fantastic creepy. editing. Yeah, the editing is great. Yeah, the editing is the I editing is great. That film, wow. <laughs> I did. It's, it was. Yeah, yeah that was a really disturbing film. Very much worth. I, we that might be something we talk about at some point. I think you know. Super. If we do another mm-hmm. single, uh, single movie episode. Which uh, we ought to. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, you know, you, you guys know me and my, my sense of nostalgia and how much I love and nostalgia sort of like run, rules my world. And I'm already getting nostalgic for like our first episode. Nostalgia <laughs> <laughs> for April 2013. <laughs> nostalgia for 12 episodes ago. That's, has, that's, it, has it gone downhill no, that much? No, the good old days. The good old days. When, <laughs> when we didn't know how to record. And we didn't <laughs> I'm definitely nostalgic for our, our one film sort of like, yeah. you know, approach and then a, a secondary segment that was topical. I'd like to, you know, re- rejuvenate that and resuscitate that by doing that tonight, in fact. So. Yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. It's a little different with Skyfall because there's a, there's a larger context. True. You know? Sure. But one thing Franchise. that's true of this episode that was not true, that was also true of the first episode is we're in the same room again. Yes. For the first time. We're all in the same uh, state. I don't know, maybe five or six episodes. We're in the it's same state. We're in the same yeah. room. Oh, at it has least. been a while. And, and you guys are drinking and I'm not. <laughs> which I wish I, I wish I was, but I've got a little bit of a cold, and colds and alcohol for me don't really mix. So, yeah. So, uh, what's new with you guys, uh, Nick? You know, since our last pickups a couple of weeks ago, you know, nothing really. Um, things are you know chugging quite along quite beautifully at Eastern Michigan University, where, as I've stated in previous podcasts, I'm teaching four classes, all my classes at one university for the first time ever. And, um, apart from that, really, you know, just 
just chugging along, guys. Really starting to enjoy autumn in Michigan. For those of you on the West Coast, for example, you know, I mean, you know, autumn in the Midwest is pretty, uh, pretty magical, particularly Halloween and the whole, just the whole vibe, the cider mills, the, the, the leaves, this, you know, students milling about on campus, the pep rallies, you know, it's, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time to be alive. Chris? I concur with that. It's uh, nice to be back in Michigan, um, getting some cool weather. Um, my sister in Florida is envying the fact that I can wear a jacket. And uh, for my friends and students in the South who've never seen snow, we'll be seeing that um, probably too soon for a lot of people here. But um, no, it's, classes are going well. Writing is going well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, things, are, things are going well. Semester's uh, kicking off very, very nicely. Eric? Hey, you know, I saw a movie today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but good. yeah, classes are good. Everything's good, you know. And I, I second the autumn thing. It's it's starting to get a little crisp. I mean, it's only September, but it's getting crisp and looking nice. So um, I'm excited to talk about Bond and, and in segment one and our segment two topic. So um, do you guys want to jump right in? Let's go. Yeah, Let's talk about Scott episode Paul. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Uh, before we do that, real quick, if you want to give us some f- feedback, uh, you can go to that's rapshow.com, Facebook, Twitter, that's rap podcast. Uh, we like feedback. So, uh, here's up. Here's up. Here's up. to Principal Photography, segment one of episode 13. We're talking about Skyfall a year later and uh, Bond in general. Uh, Nick brought this topic to the table, so I'm going to let him introduce it. Yes, well, you know, I should start by saying that I'm a huge Bond fan. I mean, definitely of the fanatic variety. Uh, I've been watching the Bond films since I was very young, a lot of cherished childhood memories are wrapped up in in my love and affection for Bond. Um, the first Bond film I saw in the theater was The Spy Who Loved Me, 77. And, um, you know, I'll never forget it as long as I live when, you know, when, when Roger Moore goes off that cliff and then utter silence and halfway down the parachute opens and it's the Union Jack and the Bond theme begins. Uh, and the audience, we just cheered and we stood up and guys whistled and we, we clapped. And then, of course, Carly Simon brings us right into Nobody Does It Better as we have the wonderful sort of Anglo-Soviet opening titles, which are, you know, along with Skyfall, I should say right off the top of my head, my two favorite opening title sequences because Bond films are very famous for their opening title oh, sequences yeah. are from The Spy Who Loved Me and Skyfall. So to begin with, I would just sort of like give you full disclosure that I'm a huge Bond fan from Dr. No all the way up, you know, 20, 23 films later now with Skyfall. And it seemed like an appropriate time a year later, not quite a year, but we're, you know, 11 months from the release of Skyfall 
to, you know, reflect back upon it. It was incredibly well received and did incredible box office. It, it became the, the box office champ in Britain and was just uh, basically adored the world over. And I want to talk this episode about why, why it, it had that effect. And, uh, I, both of you guys have seen it and we can talk about what's different about Skyfall, particularly in tone than the previous films of the franchise. Um, Chris, to start with your, you just saw it, right? So, I, I did. So let's I, start with your, your principal reaction to it. Uh, I've seen, uh, I, I have also watched a lot of Bond. I don't necessarily have the strong nostalgic ties, um, as, as you do, Nick, but I have watched many, uh, many Bond films with my parents who are huge Bond fans as well. And they, whenever they have the Bond marathons, they're, they're always <laughs> sitting watching them. Yeah, they always, they, they always are. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually have to concur, um, that my, my next to, uh, the spy who loved me would, uh, I would also say Skyfall is up there with my opening sequences. Opening sequences. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, the, the thing is, especially I want to say about, talk about that is I love, the Bond songs, you know, oh, and, and I don't know if they've ever a actually franchise released un, unto itself. a franchise a unto franchise, itself. And I don't yeah. know if they've ever actually re- released a soundtrack of just the Bond title songs. And yeah. I have they? Yeah, they've done it twice. They did it once in the 90s, uh, a double CD. Mm-hmm. And they also marketed it as a single CD. And then they've re- redone it again just recently. I, I forget the author's name. John Burlingham, I think is his name. I, I have his book on all the use of music within the Bond film. So he talks about the theme songs for sure. But he also was talking a lot about all the scores that were written, of which, what, 11 or 12 were done exclusively by John Barry. Sure. So Sure. Um, and not this one. This one was done by um, Thomas Newman. Thomas one Newman. of my all-time favorite composers. Yeah, yeah. I know he's a, he's he's... You're a huge fan of him. Well, and that was pri- primarily because he and Sam Mendes had, had collaborated so successfully on films like Revolutionary Road right. and American Beauty right. and uh, Road to Perdition, all oh, Thomas Newman Road scores, all Sam Mendes helm. So he brought in, you know, Thomas Newman of the new, of the great Newman lineage, Hollywood lineage yeah. to, to score it, who, as you and I have talked about a million times, Chris, I'm a Thomas Newman, you know, Fanatic. fanatic yeah. yeah, the score the score dovetails nicely with with the tone of the film. Um, it's a far, um, I would say, darker uh, toned film overall. Um, very. I don't want to. I don't want to go so far as to say depressing, but when you're watching this character who you've um, seen over so many iterations, have such human weaknesses in this film um that was that was that was a very you know that was a very different experience you know if somebody were to ask me do you have any criticism of skyfall i i only i do have one and it's what chris just said sadly i find the only thing i can find negative about the film is it's it's so dour it's just it's very dour it is a there's nothing um you know, happy about Skyfall. We're talking with like, you know, childhood repressions and fears and, uh, radiation you know, poisoning. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we got to talk about that later. Uh, but I mean, we're talking about like, you know, primal moments from childhood 
you know, haunting the shell of a man as, you know, his choice of occupation. And there's so many things going on in Skyfall, which we'll get to when we get down to the meat of it. But I find it to be, um, there are things that are positive about it that I can sit here and talk about as potential positives. But the overall tone, it's a, it's not a, it's a dour film. That might be the thing I liked most about it, actually. I mean, that might be, because you, um, <clears throat> I had it on my list for a long time to see. I didn't see it in the theaters, and you know how it is when you miss something like that in the cinema. You, sure. You know? um, and when I finally did watch it, because I hadn't seen a full Bond film in many, many years. I didn't see the ones before it um, in this reboot. And when I saw this, I, I liked that tone a lot. You know, I liked um, Javier Bardem as the, uh, as the villain. He was the perfect antagonist. He's yeah. And he's done, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Nick and I were talking about this earlier, but uh, Har- uh, Javier Bardem has done such a good job in these last couple of films where he's played just such oh, a yeah. bastard. I mean, yeah. as, as no first as, Ant- yeah, yeah, exactly. As Anton Chigurh's No Country for <laughs> Old Men and then his, his almost flamboyance in, uh, as, uh, in, in in Skyfall, uh, he's he's just he's the perfect antagonist, and he he just does yeah, such a good job with those types of roles. Not so much that I think he'll get typecast as a villain, like you know, like a Nicholson, right, right, right. But he's just he's very very. He good can at play the heavy. Oh, very. And I think he adds to that tone that you're talking about as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's the way the way he plays that role, but also the way it's written. You know, because there's a lot of stuff he's got that's very. Is this vendetta against um, M. About M. About M. Yeah. and and it's, yeah. it it sheds some kind of doubt on her character, and it, it's it's. Ooh, let's you know. talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about Silva as the as as when after the film came out, my initial response was that Silva was Bond, and Bond was Silva. They shared the same mother, M. Um, and I also mentioned that I felt that, at least in my opinion, I read, because this was a very open-ended thing, but I read the moment where Silva looks over at, uh, at the end of, towards the end of the film when he looks at, so spoiler for everybody, when he looks over at the, the, the gravesite and he sees Bond's parents both buried there, and he makes that little, he, he sort of like, uh, he hesitates. He hesitates, but there's a, an expression that comes over his face. And the expression to me was, I thought that he, it was a shared, he looked over and saw the same fate that befell his parents. He was also an orphan. That's how I read that. If you look at it, now you can read it in many different no, ways. No, I, I would agree. I, I read it, I read it the same way. And I, I, I mean, I, I had seen connections between Silva and Bond fairly early on, especially because, you know, they're, they're both, they have equal ability and equal intellect, I think. Uh, the fact that Silva's able to get out of, um, confinement when he's when he's oh, ca- beautiful. oh it's brilliant when they bring him back to MI6 um, yeah sorry for the spoilers to those of you who have not seen the film um, but yeah I, I, I read that the same way that Silva and Bond are, are essentially the same but one's person. been soured and the well, other yeah. one has only sort of just and recently Hyde. been poisoned by the well essentially because uh, where where Silva has been harboring a 20 year I had to cut some about three or four minutes here because it was too staticky. But basically, we talked about technology and the dichotomy between technology of M and Q, uh, especially Q, who Nick called hipster Q to everybody's delight, and uh, the old school ways of um, of Bond. 
lament the fact that you can watch Citizen Kane on your iPad instead of experiencing it in the theater. There, there's this constant pull between you know the young and the, the, the young and hipster, the technology and the old world tried and true methods. And what better what better type of a film to play out that battle in uh, in a cinematic sphere than um, than Bond, which is you know it, it it's it's been around for so long, but it has had these different iterations, these different interpretations throughout the different Bond directors. Throughout the different this segment, um, uh, for about a minute or two, again, the static, um, I kind of try to call Chris out on watching Bond on Nick's voodoo account um, on his laptop or something to that effect um, while we were talking about, um, again, about technology and how we access technology. Actually, I watched it. In all fairness, yeah, yeah. I watched it on my laptop. <laughs> now, <laughs> right, but and 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 the reason I I, I only say that it, I lament the fact that about watching Citizen Kane on 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 your iPad. It, yes, I'm glad if there is somebody out there who's 21 who has an iPad and they want to watch Citizen Kane on it. You're right. I think that's great. But I think that there is also a fundamental change of experience and I, i'm going back to you know gunning some of attractions type stuff that you are losing when you oh, watch yeah, it yeah. when and you we'll watch on your iPad. segment too for yeah, sure yeah exactly <laughs> well yeah you stay yeah. tuned listeners yeah absolutely we'll we're, we're, a little pre- preview of what we're going to talk about when you that you, that you lose that. Yeah. Uh, but um the the whole youth experience thing uh that i thought was well done and i thought it was more complexly handled more complexly i thought you know um i thought that the, the the notion of Bond aging and, and his limitations, I thought that was really well done. And I and, and just to go back, Nick, I agree with you. That that scene in the mansion and some of the cinematography in that and, and the way it all turns out, that's great. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Um I have to disagree with you though and say that I don't I don't feel it's sort of like overplayed or oversimplified. Um I'm just looking at something I wrote here when I saw the film. I wrote, I, I, I'd seen it twice, to, you know, in the theater to, to confirm some thoughts that I originally had on it. Um, and one of the things I was, I wrote was the question of, uh, some like the villains in the shadows and the polemics between youth and age that I thought were really, really well executed. This, this idea that we, like you were saying about tech, how cyber terrorism and technology, the question the film poses, I think, is how relevant is Bond in a world of stolen hard drives, cyber terrorism on YouTube, identities, public sphere, private sphere, all of this stuff. So since that is a really relevant question, are people like Bond just merely relics of a Cold War ideology? Since that is what he was born out of the character himself. Right. It might have been a good time to dust these ideas off and put them to the test. And so I don't think, I'm not sure how complex you can get in, in your narrative ambitions other than to just make it a polemic between youth and age. Uh, now you're absolutely right. I mean, Silva does use technology as does every, everybody in the film, including Bond, but, 
it, it's, it, she says, M says when she's trying to save her job mm-hmm. that it's a world of villains and shadows now and right. you need right. us more than ever because right. how are you going to ferret them out? You need, you need, you know, feet on the ground to do that. You need people like Bond. You need people who work in the shadows. You, yeah. Also who are willing to work in the shadows, which is great. I love it when he goes to Macau. Holy cow. Talk about shadows, that all is that stuff. Amazing. Right, be- well, actually, right before he goes to Macau, when he's in, he's in like Beijing, right, and yeah. he goes up that yeah. that huge oh, skyscraper, man. and all the windows that are so gelled, and that there's so much glass. Was you can't insane. see. Insane. Talk about villains and shadows. You can't see shit. You don't even yeah. know what's going on there. And then when he goes to Macau, and by the way, we should talk about Severin. She is an incredible uh, foil, the Bond girl. Mm-hmm. I think that she displays fear. In a way that I had never seen a Bond girl do before. Mm. When he, when they're in Macau at the casino mm. and he, he sees her, her sitting stamp. at the bar. Yeah. He sees her stamp and says, you know, your sex trade. And he sort of like describes her life as a unravels stranger, it, yeah. unravels. Thank you. Unravels her life. And yet he's known her two minutes. You see not only the sort of wisdom and acumen of Bond being able to read somebody, uh, but also the, sheer look of terror in her face i mean it's just she's she's incredible i mean it's it's really tragic the fate that befalls her um, that is cold yeah. <laughs> oh my god so the way cold. he just shoots it he just shoots her it says i win that was it was terrible it was uh, brutal yeah and that was so telling to that character to the villain to you know oh man yeah but i agree with you about about that i have a i have a kind of a question that goes to context in a way because my i have never been a big bond fan you know i've seen a handful i've seen kind of probably the i guess the seminal ones um i was really bummed out because in preparation for this i wanted to find some streaming and there was nothing streaming on amazon netflix a voodoo or uh, sony and I Googled why, and it turns out just two weeks ago, Netflix pulled like half. Uh, there was a whole, they had like they a, had a dozen, whole bunch on there. Yeah, like yeah. a dozen. They just pulled them. I'm like, oh, too bad we didn't do this a month ago so I could, <laughs> you know, watch Doctor No again and watch, you know, you know, whatever. Just a bunch of, but, um, but I didn't. So, I, I, but looking through the list, I heard a lot I haven't seen. A lot of Bond I haven't seen. I've seen a lot, but uh, but it's never. I've never been drawn to the franchise. Um, maybe it's because I didn't grow up in a movie loving household. So I didn't see Bond until I was a teenager. And so the ones I know best are the Pierce Brosnan ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that time passed and I, you know, I discovered Humphrey Bogart and you know, whatever, <laughs> sure. and, and whatever else. Um, so, but this film to me, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of more of a question is, Skyfall seems very, very complex in terms of uh, the characters, in terms of the Bond character, in terms of the villain, in terms of the interplay between the villain Bond and M. Like it seems very complex, and some of the issues that it comes that, that it brings up are are fairly complex and modern as well. Um, and what brought that up for me was you talking about the fear in her face yeah. and, and these things that you don't really see. Is this a departure uh, in the way that I think it is? From- it is. Yeah. I mean, you have certainly. During the, the Connery era, uh, at the height of the Cold War, those tensions and anxieties run as a very strong current through the films. Um, but they're also escapist and fantasy films at the same time. Uh, trotting around the globe, shooting beautiful women, lots of gadgets and things like that. Sean Connery, beautiful women. No question. The Moore era sort of tried to continue that in the first couple of offerings and live and let die and man with the golden gun 
But quickly, like Tom Mankiewicz, who'd written the screenplays for both those films, started to realize that he couldn't write for Con- uh, Moore the same way he wrote for Connery because uh, he would come off of looking nasty if he tried to do the things that Connery did. Huh. So that's when the the tone started to shift uh, with The Spy Who Loved Me, um, and it became lighter. Uh, and, and that's something we'll talk about in segment two. And then, um, you know, Timothy, you have your, the Timothy Dalton era, which is very brief. The Pierce Brosnan, uh, of course, I'm, I, I'm overlooking George Lazenby's, you know, um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is my personal favorite James Bond film. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think it's really fair assessment to say that the Bourne films, uh, really re i mean this is not my theory it's just been out there in culture for a long time that in the interim there before the reboot in 2006 with casino royale we had several jason Bourne films come out that sort of like upped the ante and said if you're gonna go do back to bond it can't be pierce brosnan era bond it's gonna have to be something that reflects this post 9-11 atmosphere we're living in now yeah that's a feeling i had too and you're gonna it's gonna have to have a bit more serious tone doesn't mean there can't be some laughs but they're gonna be they're gonna be definitely in the minority stake more is at stake and uh so casino royale was you know universally uh, adored because it seemed to be a very successful franchise I've brought it up in previous podcasts as I, as I thought to be a great way to revive and resuscitate a, a franchise. As you know, how I felt about the Star Trek one, which was sort of a little, I thought, disrespectful. Um, nevertheless, uh, I would have to say I'm in total agreement with that. That isn't to say that we can't go back and look at From Russia with Love or, um, Moonraker or, I don't know, you know, you only live twice. And say, can, can we not find really contemporaneous anxieties written all over these films, just coded into, into allegory of fantasy and Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it seems much more one to one with the Daniel Craig films. And I should say that I'm a big fan of Quantum of Solace. I think there's a great film in there. I, I know it's original running length was supposed to be quite a bit longer. And, uh, it, it was, you know, this is the middle. A Daniel Craig film, right? Which didn't the public didn't like as much because it, they thought it was a bit of a letdown after Casino. Yeah, but I thought. I mean, we're talking about like topic topic wise. Then the you know in in this film we're dealing with age and wisdom versus youth and blah blah. And in you know Quantum of Solace, you're dealing with water rights in South America. I mean, talk about a very topical. Um, topic <laughs> for a topical topic for a, a film i mean i thought that was incredibly brave to take on something that the world knows you know the national media doesn't talk about very much which is what's going on with water rights in other parts of the world particularly in in south america where you know corporations are trying to sort of like claim the water that's falling from the sky you know i mean right. it's like i thought that was brilliant and i thought the film what i mean in strawberry fields was this you know just, just gorgeous redhead yeah. uh have you seen i don't i think you're the only one here that's seen the movie yeah i haven't uh, seen quantum solace yeah. 
Um, well, you guys should check it out so I can get your opinions on it because that's the middle, the middle Daniel Craig. Yeah, film. I didn't see it because I didn't like the first one. No. <laughs> Which uh, I was always shocked that you didn't yeah. like Casino Royale. If, you were the only the person one, I knew. If it's the one I was thinking of, it's, uh, it starts with a, like a protracted gunfight in some market bazaar sort of thing. Is that the one I'm thinking of? No, Quantum starts. No, no, I'm talking about, um, Casino Royale. Uh, casino starts. Yeah, there is a. Um, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of exactly. Yeah, they're walking. They're running on the rooftops, I think, or something. And there's lots of gunfights, and everybody's missing him. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah, though they yeah. have these machine guns, which I always like, find stupid. Acrobatics and stuff. Yeah, a lot of acrobatics. Well, that's a trope of the genre. Though. It's a trope of the yeah. genre, and it's one of the reasons I don't like the genre because I find that stuff silly. But um, but then <laughs> then he goes into the casino, and he's all playing Mr. Cool, and he gets four aces in poker. Is this the same movie I'm thinking yeah, of? Yeah, no, we've else? had this discussion before. Yeah. Is that not? Is I, I, that a different I think movie? You need to rewatch Casino Royale. No, I stopped it at that point. I never watched the movie because I'm like, come on, like he has, he he's so good that he can get just get four aces. Like you don't give four aces in Texas Hold'em against like four kings. Like when you, it just doesn't happen. I'm well, a poker the whole player. film is so all I was like, about. Ah, forget it. I the whole it film is all about <laughs> poker, and and in poker you play the person sitting across from you, not. Your well, car. it's easy to do when you have four aces. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. <laughs> well, remember, there's that list of all the things that happen in the movies that don't happen in real life. Yeah, I know. But all I the things just, that happen in Bond that don't happen in other. Yeah, films. right. And I was just like, I don't like. I, that was the first 20 minutes Fair of the enough. film. And I, was, I mean, if you don't like that stuff, so, then you're not going to like. Right, the film. right. And I don't. Right. And so I was just like, I don't want to watch that. So I didn't see Quantum of Solace. <laughs> and the only reason I saw Skyfall is because it had such good reviews. And you guys, well, no, you were raving about it, Nick, and and everybody, everybody I knew thought it was good. And I. I want to reiterate. I thought it was a great film. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed but, it. But it was. I mean, is it? I don't know if it's a departure from Casino Royale, but Quantum of Solace, I never saw. And I believe you that it's well, good. Casino but, has some know. really heavy duty stuff in it. I mean, it, yeah. it, if you if you had been more patient, you would have been <laughs> rewarded. I think in that yeah. you know. I mean, Chris has seen Casino Royale and. Uh, I like Casino Vesper. Royale. I mean, he, but I like I like Skyfall better. Well, okay. in Casino I do like Royale, you have to understand the whole point of that film is he falls in love. And that's the whole point of Casino okay. Royale with Vesper, with, with, uh, Vesper Lind. Okay. It is the first love of his life, mm-hmm. of there's, of which there were only two. Bond's first love was Vesper Lind, who I won't say what happens to. And his second love was Countess Teresa de Vincenzo, and who he marries. It's his wife. Okay. He's slaughtered brutally by Blofeld at the end of Honor Marriage to Secret Service. So there was only two women he ever loved. And that's where the end both met with <laughs> sad fates. Huh. Am I alone? Am I, I feel alone here <laughs> in not like, in not really responding to Bond. Like you say all this and I'm like, it never seems like that deep of a character to me. Well, um, until, yeah, until I mean, there's, recently. there's depth. I mean, in you 50 know? years is not because he's a joke, you know? Well, I suppose. Well, I think that his, the character and, I, and you guys clued in on it. Um, uh, a, a minute ago, and I noticed this too with you know with the with the Daniel Craig films. You know these these this is Bond. This is post nine eleven Bond. This is Jason Bourne Bond. This is um, Bond that is dealing with terrorism, cyber terrorism. I uh, so it, it's 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 a deep. I think the character has deepened. Far more than he ever has, and he's forayed into no, territory. I, I, I agree with that. That he has never forayed into before. Um, I don't know if you could say 
that he is that the Bond character is as complex as maybe uh, other other characters, even other characters from other other franchises. But uh, to 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 you know to, to emphasize Nick's Nick's point, there is a reason that you know it's 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 been a lot. It's you know Bond the Bond franchise has been around a long time. Call it the economics of predictability. Call it the fact that people really like to see a dashing Englishman who is a badass who could kick, you know, kick the bad guy's ass um, to get with the hot women and still be able to do it and not ruffle his suit. You know, it's like Indiana Jones. Why? Why? Why do we like Indiana Jones? There's a joke. You know, his because his hat never flies off, <laughs> right? I mean, his, his oh, Indiana yeah, Jones right. hat never flies off, and that's why that's why we like him because he's, yes, he's, he's would, the Jonesness of absolutely. Indiana Jones and the bondness of Jonesness. So you're saying it's an adolescent male fantasy? Fantasy? I think for well, I think as is Superman, as is as Indiana Superman, Jones, but as, as is it's also as is a, a woman's future, it's also as a is sort of fantasy. the entire 80s and 90s. But here's the thing: I'd say there's like surprising depth to to Bond's character. I mean, there's a lot of novels there, okay? And You mean the the source material of the novels? The Ian Fleming Both, novels. in the films yeah. and in the novels. Okay. But, I mean, since we're talking about a character that was sourced first from, from novels, sure. uh, as opposed to uh, uh, Han Solo or Indiana yeah. Jones, and you know, um, that, I mean, there is surprising depth there. They just had to tack, tack it, tap into it. Um you know, when I sit here and tell you about his first wife and his first love, you guys know nothing about that. And yet those films very old, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like it's new, the depth. I mean, Andre, Andre Magic Secret Service is my favorite Bond film because it's so tragic mm-hmm. and people did not expect to see that coming. Um, when, when the film came out in 69, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say there's like, you know, this is, this is, uh, Charlotte Bronte or something like that. But what I'm, what I am going to say is, is there's as much, there's as much depth to, if not more depth to, uh, the James Bond character as there is to any major franchise character, whether it be Superman or, or Harrison Ford as, as Professor Jones or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot there to, and the, but the most important thing about Bond, and I can say this, and I'm sure all Bond fanatics out there would agree with me, is that Bond is a hero for all times. He adapts and changes right. to the, what's going on in the dictates of society. So the, the, the films will always be written sort of like in concert with what's going on politically, socially, mm-hmm. culturally, etc. And that's why the franchise will always be relevant. And that's why it'll always be with us. And as both of you said, there's a lot of still male and female fantasy going on here. I mean, Bond certainly does travel all over the world and sleep with a lot of <laughs> beautiful women. And depending on the actor, there's a lot of women out there that would like to travel with them and sleep with them. I mean, I'm sure that's not, uh, not a problem, uh, on either part there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that can well, be edited because about, I don't know what um, else to say. No, it's okay. So the um, but he's also very British, right? Which which for us makes him kind of other in a lot of ways. You mentioned Bo- the Bourne franchise, which I also can't stomach. I just I can't. You know, I watched the first one. And I'm like, this is so, this is just shit. You know, like and we'll get into that well, in well, segment maybe two. We gotta, but, maybe we got maybe you got to like disclose the fact that you don't like 
these films on a, for some reason that is just personal. Oh, yeah, of course. You don't like international yeah, espionage you do films. like them on a level that is personal, right? I well, mean, no, but, but, you know, but I don't but like, no, I don't I can, like I the genre. Talk, I don't okay, like action yeah. genre. The, the action international espionage genre? But I like uh, all genres, because that's, Eric, that's, so I don't know what you're talking I, about there. When I think of when I sure. think of the Bourne films, I'm thinking not just action. I'm thinking action slash international espionage. Oh, no, I, I kind of like that. I guess what it is is, like, I'm, it's not that I don't like Bond. Like, I like some Bond films. Right. I'm just not, it just doesn't draw me. I don't think to myself, let's, let's like put that in and watch it. It just doesn't, it seems to me, like, that, that particular... The action genre. I don't like action scenes in movies that much. I find them almost always completely, like, not just unrealistic, but just, like, just boring. <laughs> you know, I just don't. I watch them, eh, whatever. Um, and so, I mean, I'm like that when I watch superhero films as well. I love, you know, the Batman movies, but when they start fighting, I'm like, yawn. You know, maybe I can go to the bathroom for a minute, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. That's just how, yeah, that's just how I am. And the Bourne movies, I thought, I mean, they, they, they stretch that. To a breaking point that that credulity is really this is this is what you're gonna do. Although I did see Jack Reacher and I kind of enjoyed it. Have you guys seen Jack Reacher? No. The reason I'm mentioning Tom is Cruise? I'm trying to think. Yeah, Tom Cruise. I'm trying to think of like American equivalents because I think there have been a lot over the years of attempts to do an American Bond, right? And none of them are American Bonds. I mean, Bond is Bond. We all know what Bond is. Like, for example, in the, in Skyfall, when he, um, I can't remember exactly how he crashes through that, uh, into that train and he comes in and he's, that was dust everywhere and everything. And he takes that second to like adjust his jacket. Cufflink, I believe. Cufflink, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. He just, I, it's so stupid. It's but so I, fucking it's brilliant. So <laughs> I love that. I'm like, oh, look at him. <laughs> Dressing the cuff, like I think that's great. I but did you that, like you Indiana know? Jones? So, just curiously, did you like as a kid? Indiana I liked Jones? Indiana Jones. As a, but I yeah, know. yeah. I just watched it. I just I just saw the IMAX uh, re-release last year. Yeah, Raiders by yeah, myself. Yourself, yeah, right. Um, I went too. It, it was, it was all, fantastic. A huge auditorium. Perfect it was film. Awesome. And uh, I really enjoyed watching it again. But there was a part of me that was like, you know, uh, okay. I mean, this is it's. As a kid, it was great. As an adult, you know, you start seeing things where, where you know, you start seeing some problems with it. I guess you could say. Sure. But I would love sitting there. <laughs> I was sat in the middle row, and then I got up and went to the back row because <laughs> I could because there's nobody else there. Well, but no, I mean, I like Indiana Jones, but he's got the same problem. You mentioned Superman, too. Superman, Indiana Jones. Like, I guess what I'm I'm looking for. I guess right now in my life, in 2013, I'm looking for more complex characters. And uh, Superman, Indiana Jones, Bond, you mentioned all those. They're all very shallow characters. I mean, so is Frodo, you know, in Lord of the Rings. You don't have very complex characters in Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings, you know. Sure. Um, See, I think that so. that's not true anymore with Bond. I, well, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's that's what I'm getting at. Oh, okay. Like now, I think they're, they're trending for more complexity with them. That's why I like Skyfall so much. But I get the sense that over time... You know, I don't think people watched him to watch the character develop. People watched him just for the fantasy. True. However, that doesn't really. negate the possibilities if we just do a little analysis to any one of those films that we don't find yeah, sure. all sorts of yeah. well, most people uh, I, I, I momentous issues at stake. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean that that I mean we can go back and analyze. You know, uh, cave paintings, and you know, say how shallow are these, or how de how much depth yeah. are in them, right? I mean, so the point being. From from my angle, I think there's been a lot of complexity in the Bond character, more or less, 
from its inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and you would know better than I would on this. I'm not, I can't speak from a good place. Yeah, but I would also, this, you know? I would also agree with you that, I mean, it certainly wasn't by design to make them complex. It was the films were meant to be good roller coaster rides, uh, right, uh, right. from the from the get go, uh, in very in very international milieu, uh, with a lot of very beautiful women and gadgets and things like that. So yeah, I mean, there's all yeah. that's there, and but the character, like I was saying, I think its most uh, resonant uh, feature is that he adapts his adaptability. Right, right. To any decade, it's not coincidence that we're going into our sixth decade of James Bond in the films. It's just he's just not going anywhere. <laughs> no, he's not, and it's it's. I think that when it comes to Bond, and I, I thought about this, funny enough, during the app during the opening sequence of Skyfall, and. It, it, it goes to, and I know Eric, you were saying how you don't like, you know, you, you don't like, you want the complex characters and it just seems silly that he's able to run across rooftops. 15 people with machine guns are shooting at him and he never gets hit. Um, or he hardly ever gets hit. <laughs> but yeah, true, which is, which is, which is true. But, you know, I, I was thinking about that during that opening sequence of Skyfall where he steals a motorcycle and then they are, he rides a motorcycle on what appears to be a, a, a like a, an right. eight inch wide roof uh, center of a rooftop, and he's he's doing it with co- almost complete ease, like he's been doing it all of his life. Like he, you know, and, and he's pursuing these people, you know. And, and, and when it comes when it comes to, it, 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 and it, I did it, enjoy watching. It, it's enjoyable to watch. To is it ridiculous? It, but, Absolutely. Yeah. There is no one. Who could do that? Right. No, no, no one could, could, could conceivably do that and be able to ride through a bazaar and, and stay on the motorcycle. I mean, he never yeah. falls off. Right. And he, he goes through the glass. He, he, he goes through the bazaar. He goes through, yeah. he never falls off the goddamn motorcycle. <laughs> right. Um, but that, but again, that is what comes with when you're watching a, a, a Bond movie. And it, it's fair enough to say if you don't like that genre, the action genre, but, it's it's the suspension of of disbelief. Right, right. You, you you have to say this is a Bond movie. Right. I, I I am going to get somebody who is going to be able to easily ride a motorcycle along a several rooftops very easily, not fall off, sure. probably not get shot, uh, and if he does, it'll only be a flesh wound. And, 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 no, and everything, I enjoy that. Yeah. And everything will be, and scene, everything will be great. Yeah, yeah. It is an no, enjoyable brilliant. scene. And but it's shot in Turkey. It's, it's shot in Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. Uh, but there's, yeah. it's suspension of disbelief. And I, I, and I guess, like, for me, like, that's true of any movie, of course. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah, I, mean, I think it's probably like telling about me, more about me than it is about Bond, that, you know, like, I draw the line at four aces in Texas Hold'em. Right? You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, well, you, okay. you bailed sure. too but, early on. You know, and, like, when he was, and when he falls through the ice at the end of Skyfall and he gets back out, and he's like totally fine, no hypothermia, great. You know, okay, that's fine. I get it. It's a movie. You know, he wasn't he soaked though, which was know, kind of funny. He wasn't that. soaked. Everything's fine. You know, I, you know, you don't need to, you know, find a fire and get warm and try to, you know, that's nah, okay. I'm okay with that because he's, okay he's, he's Bond. Yeah, he's Bond. Yeah, he's James Bond. With the yeah, four I mean, aces. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, buy the yeah, four yeah. aces. I don't know. But, I mean, that's an in, in for a penny, in for a pound theory that I can't. I mean, I I can't go to a romantic comedy and say I'm I, I'm I'm cool with this, but I mean, all that kissing and laughing is just like you know. I mean, that's a romantic comedy, right? <laughs> right. So ultimately, uh, I don't want the kissing becomes, and laughing. It's just a preference that you don't care for 
action in your action films. Right, right. <laughs> I don't right, like yeah, singing, exactly, you know, exactly. I don't like I all that better, singing and you know, dancing in musicals, you know. Right, right. I could do the musicals <laughs> if it wasn't for the right. singing and dancing. But I do agree with Eric <laughs> completely that yeah, right. you can have both. You can have a film that has extremely well choreographed and believable action sequences along with com- complex characters. Yeah. And Skyfall is just that. Yeah. It is uh and and, and it's a surprisingly rich uh, supporting cast uh not surprisingly i should say just just really non one note supporting cast you have uh, ray fines is wonderful as mallory who becomes oh, yeah. essentially uh m's replacement um uh, obviously henry so oh, right at the end yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. um and of course i thought that uh i, I don't know the actress's name that played severin but she was I thought she was outstanding. I thought she was good too, but we won't be seeing her again. No, no. no. Um, but after this, I mean, I'll watch the next one. Yeah. You know, I, well, I believe Sam Mendes is coming back. They had talked about bringing Chris Nolan in uh, to do a oh, film wonderful to to sort of like bring closure to your comment earlier about Batman. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, well, you know, if Chris Nolan comes in, the action sequences will be completely bungled when it comes to editing. <laughs> He's gotten much yeah. better, I think. You know oh, they should have directed oh. in Inception. I think. You I know think. who should direct the next one? Uh, Wes Anderson. Oh yeah, Wes. Yeah. Oh yeah, Wes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> or, or Tarantino. Populated by nothing but cues. Cues <laughs> 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 with little Wes Anderson. Well, yeah, and 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 what, what's on their iPod? <laughs> what's on their iPod? David <laughs> Bowie music. Oh, <laughs> Laura's gonna kill me for that. Just, just. Kidding, sweetheart. <laughs> we love you, Lara. <laughs> no, I the you all know, the really I God, I hope they I hope they do not bring in Chris Nolan. Yes, his his you know the, the editing and everything in, in Inception was absolutely brilliant, but uh I I thought that the, the only redeeming quality about the Dark Knight was Heath Ledger's performance as Joker. I thought the Dark Knight was ridiculous. I thought the editing was so stupid. And they broke so many fundamental rules of filmmaking that it ruined the film for me. You know what I liked about it? I was, um, bashed the Dark Knight. I thought she was great. Well, Maggie, <laughs> I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. I, I, I know, well. Okay, we're going back to other podcasts. Now yeah, we're, we are. We're venturing into in-joke territory. <laughs> so, so maybe we should wrap this I up. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. Segment two. <laughs> what do you guys think? Um, yeah, I want the final word on this. and, and <laughs> It's all yours, Nick. Uh, my my final word is is a year, a year after Skyfall, I think that... Uh, you know the the Bond franchise is alive and well. I think Craig is contracted to do two more pictures. He's certainly still at the right age. Certainly has the right physique for it. Good God! And I, I for one, am all hook, line, and sinker. But I mean, they could cast, you know, Paulie Shore as as James Bond, and I'd still go see it because I'm just I'm just a sucker for it. So. <laughs> let's let's. Uh... There uh, need to be AM. limits. What's so on? All the you wish for. Two we are. Welcome to segment two of episode 13. We're going to be talking about uh, movie going and, and attitudes towards movies. After that raucous conversation about uh, Bond, we're going to continue the uh, the attitude and the, probably the arguments here, perhaps. I don't know, although we might be on the same page. Uh, we're responding in a particular to an article called... Um, from, Lo- from Russia with Love is an Unsophisticated 
you are. Oh, thank you. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes. Um, by the time you hear this, you'll have already read this because we'll have it on our Facebook page as well. But um, and and basically, it's a screed against uh, hipster audiences who think they're cooler than the movies that they watch and just want to kind of play MST3K and and uh, and comment on things. And there are a couple other articles we're going to respond to as well. Because just in the last couple months, there have been a spate of articles and uh, blog entries and whatnot about cinema going, uh, people being rude in theaters, people looking down on movies, uh, people finding things corny and things like that. And uh, I think Nick wants to read a little bit of the – well, Nick, you go ahead and uh, – you're the one that wanted to respond to this particular one from Russia to love. And it ties in beautifully with the Bond discussions because it's, you know – Well, yeah, it was you, Eric, that sent this link to me several oh, months ago and first, <laughs> first, first brought it to my attention because you're like, you know, I think there's something out there that you're going to love. And sure enough, it was this article that said that this guy had gone to see from Russia with love and it was in a packed Manhattan theater – and that uh, some of the patrons were like truly unironically into the film, but many of them were acting sort of above it and sort of like saying, you know, to their friends, can you believe this was considered sophisticated a long time ago and how superior are we to this film and so on and so forth. And he he was sort of shocked by this, this sort of like arrogance and, and just general stupidity. I mean, imagine if we all adopted this attitude to all artifacts, you know? I mean, sometimes, whether it's my students, but not all, it's not my students, it's usually a party or something that you'll bring up something and somebody may say to you, oh, well, that was before my time. And it doesn't have to be a movie, it could be anything. And I, I, they say that as if that's some sort of like viable excuse to opt out of it. And you know, my response to that is usually like, well, you know, there's like 4.5 billion years of Earth's history that's before your time too. Doesn't mean you don't need to know anything about it, you know. Right, right. It's like, right. Um, but if I were to read like the one little part from this article that we'll include a link to, is he just basically says, "Look, why pay twelve bucks to see an old movie in a theater, then sit there the whole time and act superior to it? It just doesn't have to be that way, and it just doesn't really make that much sense." And I think we've all, since we've been teaching film for so many years. Um, we've all experienced this, this sort of like smug sense of superiority that people have about films that may be a bit older or from another culture or whatever. And right. it's just, it seems so shallow and anti-intellectual to sort of like sit in superiority of it, which brings me to my <laughs> launching point here, guys. And you know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to take just a couple minutes and say that not only do I agree with that wholeheartedly, I just want to take this opportunity to say that I have encountered, speaking of Bond, I have encountered this particular opinion writ large regarding the Roger Moore era of Bond. Uh, now, you know, speaking objectively, for, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan, but so I'm not going to discount myself with the Moore era because I'm a fan, but speaking objectively, I find that this attitude to be the prevalent one regarding the Moore era. And I think it's really just un incredibly unfair for the seven films that Roger Moore made, of which a couple of them I think are tops in, in, in the series and many others would, would, would agree with me, but they really like to stick it to a couple of the films. And <laughs> one being Moonraker. And I'm just going to share with you guys and then I'll, I'll, I'll yield. I'm going to share with you at, at SFX, uh, the SFX website for the 50th anniversary of Bond. A guy named Nick Setchfield wrote, 
capsules on each and every Bond film, and they are fantastic. My my favorites of, of all the web journalism about the Bond films. And he has a little paragraph here in his Moonraker thing that I think really does a nice job explaining things. He says, let me read directly from it. He says, people go to laugh at Bond films, insisted director Lewis Gilbert, unapologetically. And that's that's the director of Moonraker, Lewis Gilbert. And Moonraker's popular perception remains a smirk-fueled distillation of all that's deemed ludicrous and clowny about the Roger Moore era. Fleming's tortured government assassin remade as a safari-suited, cheese-strolling merrily between sight gags and slap, slapstick set pieces, an unstoppable gatling gun of double entendres. But then Nick goes on to say, but is that fair? There's actually considerably more to Moonraker than double-taking comedy p- pigeons and candy-striped hover gondolas. <laughs> Take the scene where Bond staggers from a whirl in the rigged, rigged, rigged centrifuge machine. He emerges sweat slick, visibly shaken, stripped, stripped of his quips, his eternally arched eyebrow finally quelled. He, f- he falls, but is too proud to let Holly help him. He exists in silence, half broken, momentarily closer to the Fleming conception than Connery ever came. Elsewhere, Corinne's pursuit by Drax's hounds is the grimmest, most nightmarish sequence in all the bonds. As slants of daylight cut like knives through a tangle of trees, a pack of flesh-hungry dogs race after a terrified girl to her death, accompanied by a John Barry score that sounds like some beautiful, regretful lament. As the dogs fall on Corinne, we cut to the bells of Venice. It's as if the film itself wants to outrun the dark realities of Bond's world. Once again, no one's laughing. It is beautiful, guys. And I think, I mean, Moonraker is a favorite of mine. I still have the... um and you can't imagine how much shit I take for that, you know. I still have the uh, um, pastel portrait I did when I came home from the film. I drew a portrait of of the uh, um, motorboat chase um, in Rio for my mom, you know, because I was how old were you? Was seventy nine, so I was what nine. <laughs> That's awesome. I still have that. I mean, so okay, granted, I mean, I'm wrapped up in the film, but. There's, I would, I'd love to read more of this to you guys, but the point I'm trying to make, and I think that they're making here, is that this film gets a knee-jerk reaction from people. I mean, I got into a big online argument about this film with some people until I realized I was just shooting myself in the foot. So stupid. I'm not going to change anybody's mind. It's ridiculous. But I just, no matter how hard I try, I can't get people to get past their own prejudices prejudices and their own cultural blindness yeah moonraker is a light film from for a light period but it was also very very profitable uh it was a joy to make it has a beautiful score it's got great villains it's it's outer spacey it's got all sorts of stuff going for it and if you're just going to sit and act superior to it then then don't watch the film don't watch the film i i i can't agree with you more um I've also had, you know, heard people, oh, well, I don't, I don't like, and, and, and it doesn't have to be Roger Moore. It can be, oh, I don't watch films by this person, or I think this person is, I just don't, you know, they, they act Not everything's a mystery film. science theater. Not everything's a mystery science, but whatever. The very first time I ever screened Bride of Frankenstein was the very first time I ever, uh, taught an intro to film class in 2004. Right. And people were, you know, snickering at the wrong sections and stuff like that. I don't, know, I don't know why you would snicker in this masterpiece anyhow. And that was, I mean, I realized very early on, there's just no way I'm going to be able to control how people are reacting to a film. So I just 
to try to take it not personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm getting into a one to one discussion with, with somebody about Moonraker, yeah, then I'm, then, then it's me defending the film to someone who's attacking it for reasons I can't fathom. Yeah, I, uh, you know, that same article, um, later on he talks about a screening in a film class. I think it was a film class of Singing in the Rain. And the, and the students were laughing at it. Um, yeah, and the, got, uh, again, this, we'll put this in the show notes uh, so you can read it. But, um, you know, he talks about people saying it's corny or it's silly or whatever. And I guess the film class is different. I saw Casablanca last week, you know, and I just, I'm 70 years old. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone laughed at the, uh, when, uh, when Bogey shoots uh, Major Strasser at wow, the end. Really? You know? Why would yeah, you laugh at that? Again, you can't, you can't yeah. regulate. I'll ask them, I'll this ask them this week why they laughed. But I don't think it was a superiority thing. I think it's just, I think, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I'll ask him next week, but um, that's never happened before. Yeah, I've never. I've never seen, <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah that's there a, must that's have been something. Moment, I know? don't know. Maybe someone poked her like in the side or something. I don't know. It's not a laugh, but um, <laughs> not at all. So uh, there are laughing scenes in that. Plenty. Yes, oh, yeah. sure, absolutely. It's yeah, yeah, a great film, and uh, but you know they, they still like it. But film classes are a little different because it's a forced environment. Sure. You know, I think in a way. Um, although I, I mean, when I showed Run All the Run, uh, when it's I used to show it this week, when I, yeah, when I used to show it, people would laugh at when, uh, Manny gets run over by the ambulance. Yeah. Nobody laughed this week. Really? Yeah. yeah but, uh, Maybe because of the irony or something like that. Who yeah. I don't know. Finally, I asked, why what's so, so funny? funny about that? That's like a really serious thing. And I think it was because it was the second time they go through the. You know, through the second run, and and they don't take it as seriously, and they said it was kind of comical the way he gets hit, and you know, and maybe the irony. I was like, eh, whatever. Like you said, there's no accounting for that, right? But you know, on the other hand, um, I mean, people have it, there's an etiquette thing as well, sure. And I think that's what it is. You know, to 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 some extent, is you know, you're even if you're being forced to watch it in a film class, you're not like you said, it's not MST3K, it's not Mystery Science Theater. There are other people in the room who who might want to learn something from this or enjoy it, you know. And that's and, what I was going for with the response to yeah, Kane. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't the fact that they were just that they were laughing. It was it, it was mo- almost a mockery, and it was really rude. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I I I've n- I never do that. I never right. I, I I'm not I'm not one to fly off the handle and 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 stop a film. However, one of the things I I just I, I can't tolerate, and this is for me as a um, as a viewer when I'm in a theater or when I'm screening something for students is absolute is is rudeness and disrespect, yeah. not just for the film but for the other people who are trying to watch yeah, it. Definitely. So it, it, there are other people who are enjoying this. Don't whether it's it's going on your phone or going on your iPad or or going on or, or laughing or talking or, or mocking uh, something that, that's on the screen. Um, it, don't, don't ruin it for other people. If you find it funny, mm-hmm. okay, fine. If you, you find it funny, I can't control that. But when you start going, oh, <laughs> damn, you know, that's, yeah. that's, there's, there's, yeah. no, mean, that's, that's a breach of etiquette. Like Cinematic etiquette. Uh, like I, you know, we just talked about places where people are laughing that don't make much sense <clears throat> to us. I remember Julie. Telling us when she, when the first, Julie. Julia Rigo, mm-hmm. when one of the first times she screened Kane, somebody was laughing when, when Charles slaps. That happened to me this semester. Yeah. They were laughing. Really? They, were, they were cheering. Actually. They were cheering? I had a, a woman cheer this semester when he slaps her. Which is funny, you know, because <clears throat> I, don't, I, don't, I think that might have happened to me once or twice. We've shown the damn film so many times, but like, I usually, I, I have a habit of, 
and I'm sure you guys do too, is we, we talk about the film before we screen it. And one of the things I always say before I screen that film is that when I was 19 or 20, the first few times I saw the film, um, Susan Alexander drove me nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's and, meant to, though. And, and she's meant to. Yeah. And sort of like the shrillness of her voice. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I said, but I said, the older I got, and as decades went on, I came to have the most sympathy for her than oh, yes. any Certainly. other character. Oh, absolutely. In the yeah, film. Absolutely. She, she breaks your heart, you know, and, and I, I don't know, somehow I, maybe by saying that I diffuse it and they don't, they don't laugh because, mm. you know, yeah. she's, she's so remarkable in that film. But, um, I remember when I went and saw Hannibal in the theater, the, the sort of like the brain eating lobotomy weird scene. I, we, when, I don't know when Hannibal came out, 95 or 96. Mm. Yeah, somewhere around. So there. I was in my mid twenties, you know, I, I was, you know, you know I'd been going, I'd been like studying film and going to film for quite some time by that point. But I remember laughing at that scene and not because I thought it was funny, but because it was so suddenly outre or how I don't know how you pronounce that word. Outre. 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 Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. O-U-T-R-E, yeah. you know, other or whatever yeah. that word is is fantastic or I'm not sure what the French meaning of that word is, but it was sort of so mannerist all of a sudden yeah. that I, I just, my response was to laugh because I didn't know what else to do because there, you know, there's this scene where this dude, you know, I mean, Ray Liotta has got his, his brain exposed and I mean, it's just such a fucked up scene that I just started to laugh. And I often think about that when students are laughing, like, like, why are they laughing? And a lot of times I think I know why and I'm upset. Yeah. But a lot of, some of the times I'm like, that's a weird place to get a laugh. Yeah. So I think two films I, I screen, if we're talking about like film class, that always really get students. It's like uh, a simple plan and carry. Oh, okay. Because they start off like maybe laughing with the film and mm-hmm. by the end they're like, good God, this film's got me to have me depressed for a week. You know? Yeah. The, um, I think, I think that there, that's a different kind of laughter, right? There's an uncomfortable laughter. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a situation right. where they're not choosing to go watch Carrie. Right. They're sitting in their classroom <laughs> at noon with a bunch of strangers. Right. And maybe they don't like Forced. horror films, you know, or maybe they're not used to it. And it's bringing something up from them. And it's nervous laughter, you know? Sure. You know, perhaps, um, for sure. But I think that there are a couple of things going on here, right? There's, there's etiquette, not just in film class, but in the theater, right? There's, a, there's just an etiquette that has, eroded in recent years Um, and there's also the attitude of feeling above or distance from a film and I think that those things overlap you know but they're they're a little different I think the from from Russia with love thing is a good good one and there's a couple things I've never understood I've never understood going to a film and making fun of it because you think it's bad you know And, and and you know and usually you think it's bad because or one would think it's bad because it's old or it, it, the effects are stupid or, you know, it's look how they used to act and stuff like that. You know, I have no sympathy for that. And it doesn't make, you know, it even doesn't make, make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, then there's that, uh, the other impulse where people will like seek out and like films because they're bad, you know, uh, the whole like, yeah, you know, the big thing about camp, you know, sure, sure, which sure. that it, might which not be a big be, part of the cult movie for now, right? The whole cult movie for now, which is another impulse I've never understood, you know, I've never understood making fun of it or, or embracing it. Oh, look how bad this is. This is awesome. I've never understood those. That was impulses. part of the goal of our cult movies class. Right. Yeah. I just never, it. I never, yeah, yeah. And I've never got, I never really, I never had that impulse myself, you know, I don't think but um yeah so i don't know but the 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 etiquette thing is a separate not not entirely separate but it's 
but the whole seeking out of of bad movies that's it, especially um in recent years and the, the the movie that immediately comes to mind is this 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 putrid film called the room that was it was it was done as a serious film, but it's it's so bad it's laughable. Oh yeah, with Tommy yeah, Wiseau, I and I, I I saw it, and it's it's yeah. absolutely putrid. Chris, Chris turned me on to it. Uh, have you seen it, Nick? Oh, because of you. Yes. Yeah, it's putrid, isn't it? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but again, I mean, that was kind of the goal of the whole cult movies class, right? right. Was was, it, but that just turned out to be one of the many ways in which a film may achieve cult status is technical ineptness basically yeah but don't you uh, feel that the like, room sells out, out theaters i mean it's it's huge yeah i know i've heard of this and, the, and people like it because it's bad but isn't that just the flip side of the coin like you seek out movies because they're bad so that you can feel better than them <laughs> i mean is that well that's impulse? the old argument about yeah. why did we watch all that horrible shitty montel williams like right, you know yeah, like yeah. The, at least the, i'm not like the carnival I, I can feel better jerry, I'm better than jerry them. springer carnival-esque yeah. sort of uh, so you feel better about your <laughs> so you feel own better life. About yourself. um yeah. i think that there's uh well that's a tough question because the obvious answer is yes people are doing that but i think for cinephiles it's it's more I, I would say it's it goes beyond that into it may start off as feeling superior to it mm-hmm. look how bad this is but it ultimately then one can also make the argument that some of these films are absolutely utterly sublime because right of right. The, right you know and I do understand I do understand that you know that there's something that transcends yes, the ineptitude yes Plan yeah. Nine right the entire mm-hmm. Ed Wood canon there yeah. and and Ed Wood's no not nearly the world's worst filmmaker I mean there are uh, yeah you know like give, well we're getting into taste and all sorts of things but. I mean, yes, by the by the measure in which we we look at the canon of filmmaking, yeah. I mean, it was pretty bad, <laughs> right, right. But yeah. but you know, and that's a film that I screen every year, every bloody year, in, in and sort of film, yeah, for acting. But the 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 point of it is, is the students always are come out with this idea <laughs> that you know what? Here's a dude that still got it done in the fifties, in the independent era, during the studio era. He right. was writing and producing and directing films that got seen. Yeah. And then the student, you know, we kind of look at each other and like, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you doing that? No. I mean, Ed Wood had that sort of, that pure, that amateurism that can be one of the greatest attributes that you can possess. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the superiority thing. And then, um, Etiquette. You guys want to talk about etiquette? Yeah. <laughs> what about cell what you, phones and shushing? Well, there's and, uh, the texting, there's the articles, but there's also that that theater in Texas. Oh yeah, the uh, Alamo the Draft Alamo, House. The Alamo <laughs> yeah, Draft House. With that basically, if you uh, isn't there policy that if you, if you they'll if, kick you out for texting. Yeah. If you have yeah, texting, yeah. they will kick you out yeah. of the theater. Yeah, I think I we love, already linked to the video of the voicemail, but we can certainly link to it again. We'll I definitely. Love it. I showed it to my classes. I'll put that in the. I'll put that in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, the, some of the articles, other articles we're responding to is uh, there's one about uh, audiences ruining horror movies, and there's that Neil Dash uh, entry from a couple months ago now, I think, where he says um, that. The shushers are wrong, and and like shushing people in theaters is basically fascism, and it's denying people their rights and and, and stuff like that. And there is a lot. I can't imagine that 
anybody would be sincere about that position, to be honest with you. Nor I think it's just I. I think it was just a piece to kind of stir up controversy. And he got a lot of, there were a lot it's of not um, really a that defendable position. Right, right, exactly. And and you know, we'll link to that as well and to some other responses to it, but um, I mean, I find it difficult to go to theaters these days. That's why I went at 1130 this morning to see The World's sure. End, you know, because I knew there would be only one other person yeah. in there, you know. I just, yeah, I mean, when I looked at that article, I thought we can draw very basic analogies to, well, I should be able to go to an opera and sing in the audience. <laughs> I mean, like, they're just, you know, I didn't see that really as a defendable. And I agree with you. I mean, if if that was truly his stance, then the guy's an idiot. But... um I don't think that was the case. Like you said, I think he was trying to sort of rake some stir muck. The yeah, <laughs> stir the pot. Because, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, you got the right to text. I got the right to, you know, tell you not to. And they, the place has the right. right to throw you out or they have the right to build a whole nother theater so you can text. But why would you want to do that in the first place? Why are you going to go to the movie to text? I don't know. God almighty, kill me. Just kill me. <laughs> I don't even go to evening like the go to evening shows anymore at huge theaters. I mean, I used to love going to the Palladium. It was really better than that, right? Or yeah, it was a great a big thing night going release of whatever movie, and all yeah. four hundred of you go to go see Bram Stoker's Dracula or, or whatever, or whatever is coming out. And I used to love going to the Birmingham Palladium or the Birmingham. Afterwards, I will, yeah, I will I say that midnight showings at opening night are, are different. I yes. think there's a there's a different expectation. The film, yeah. the film. There's different expectation. I think there's yeah. an expect, expectation of um of some type of participation, maybe. Yes, you know, yes. people will cheer at certain yep. points, uh, like, you know, in the Avengers movie or something like that. Right. You know, stuff like that where they recognize you know, in the comic was, book and I, they will cheer or laugh. And, I got to interject know, here, so, Eric. Yeah. You know, um, my friend Keith Dameron at, here at EMU and I, we and John Cooper, the three of us all attended the um, Shirley Jones um, hosted three night. Uh, presentation of the music man at the redford theater here in michigan so shirley jones flew in and she hosted the event i got to meet her and we talked about my favorite film of hers which is the bedtime story with marlon brando and david niven and got her autograph and the whole nine yards but more importantly i cannot tell you how much i cannot tell you when the last time was where i had that much fun in a movie theater because we were all there for the same purpose, to see and watch and love this perfect musical that is such a part of popular culture, all of the songs and some of the, the legendary imagery from it. And the uh, and so what, after each number, and the Music Man has a lot of numbers. It's a musical with, with you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of numbers. Oh, yeah. Um, after each one, there was, we would all applaud. Oh, okay. Particularly when it was a Shirley number, since she was just behind us. You right, know? right, right. And we'd be even louder. And we were all just absolutely. <laughs> and so when I ran into Keith in the class and he's like, you know, I was there. I didn't know you were there and so on and so forth. And I said, wasn't the best time? He said, yeah, because we were all there because of our love of the film and, and the genre. And, you know, yeah. we were all connected in the way that the movie theater used to be a place where you'd sit and be connected and stare into the fire. You know, <laughs> right, right. So, what's happened? Why has it changed? You and your damn technology. You <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with it. I mean, maybe it does, but you know, I, I had an the experience enabling. recently that um, you know, I wrote about this. Well, this was last year. I wrote it was on my blog. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Where I was watching, uh, it was a Silver Linings Playbook. No, 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 it wasn't. It was uh, Lincoln. 
It was Lincoln. Two and a half hour Lincoln. And um, I was in the second to the last row. And so in the back row, there's this guy with his girlfriend or the girl he's trying to impress. And um, he's talking through the whole thing. It has nothing to do with technology or texting or anything. He's, he's talking through the whole thing. I was trying to impress her, saying like little asides. And I kind of kept looking back at him, kind of giving him that look, you know. Like, shut up. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and then he starts saying things like, you don't even like history. You know? And I'm like, why the hell <laughs> do you go to a two-and-a-half-hour movie about a president in the 19th century if you don't like history? <laughs> so finally I turn around and I say, shh. And he looks at me, totally offended. And she kind of looks at me, and I stare at him right in the eye. I'm like, just stare at him like, you know, well, you guys can't see me. <laughs> We're on audio, but like I just stare at him, like, like stop it, you know. Yeah, and I turn back around and I watch the movie, but I'm tense for the rest of the time, you know. And I usually don't do that. I'm usually not a very aggressive. Yeah, the breaking point. Yeah, you know. And then like later on, I saw him. Uh, he was like waiting for his girlfriend. He's like, yeah, she's in the bathroom. He's sitting there. He's like this built dude, you know. And he's like staring me down. I was like, whatever, dude. You know, like I'm not trying to don't fight. Don't yeah, just like you know, I'm I the bad paid, guy for yeah. for for wanting to watch the film i paid money to see right you know i paid all that money to see this film so like i'm like what's he even doing there in the first place yeah and then but he would his argument might be well i paid ten dollars too i can do what i want right but i don't that no, I'm with you all. Feels like a new thing a to thousand me, percent you know? typically what i do in those Ditto. situations i know people that that have no patience for it and I immediately go off on them regardless if they're six foot ten I just That's moved. me. You know, I moved. <laughs> I have no patience for it. I remember I went. theater. I, I couldn't move. With, oh, you couldn't move. It was too, that's why I was in the back. It was packed. I remember <laughs> my mom. My mom and I went. I took my mom to go see the second to last Harry Potter. So the okay. Deathly Hollows part one. Yeah. And we were out way out in, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to know. But we are the, you know, the 3D theaters. And we were in that section that where there's a break. So like there's like, you know, three or four or five feet of hall or not, you know, like the, yeah, yeah. and then there's the, the next stadium seating yeah. is below. I like sitting there. And, and there's this kid who is, oh man, I went nuts. I mean, I was literally going nuts. And I, and I will, I will tell you what I said. And my, my poor mother, um, this kid was, you know, I don't know, like seven or eight years old. So he's, his feet didn't touch the ground. And he kept kicking your he kept, seat. No, no. He, kept, he oh. was he was in the same row as me. Oh, he wasn't kicking my seat. Then I oh, would, I then see. I would I totally. See. But but he was like eight or ten feet down from me, and he just kept kicking it. And you could hear this thing above the movie, and it was it was nonstop, <laughs> and it was driving me nuts. And and I kept looking over and looking and looking and looking and looking at the mom, and they would do nothing about it, nothing about it. And I finally. <laughs> I lean forward and I go, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And you I, said that? I said that really loud. And, and, and my mom grabbed me, you know, my 75 year old mother grabbed me and was like, no, 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 no. And we got up and we, and she, we had, and she pulled me somewhere else. I said, what are you going to do? Go beat up the seven year old? And I said, no, but I had reached a breaking point. And I, and the kid, and when I said, you've got to be fucking kidding me, I wasn't directing it at the child. Right. I was directing at the idiot mom. Who would stop the child? Mom sits there and is like, hey, you know, Dylan or whatever his name is, make as much fucking noise as you want. I mean, good (laughs) God almighty. I, I am one of those people who has absolutely zero patience for it. Uh, I, I, I saw, that is really funny, Nick. I I saw the artist uh, at a in an independent theater in Orlando. 
uh, very, very similar to the main art theater, oh. a lot of independent houses, <laughs> but you can drink there. And, um, uh, very similar situation where we were, <laughs> my companion and I who were watching it, uh, but the, the girl behind us was getting drunk <laughs> and uh, she started to, right in the middle of the film. Now, of course, those of you who have seen the artist know that artist is a silent film. Right. So there's a musical company, but it's silent. And the girl behind us starts carrying on. Oh my God. Oh my, this movie is so. And I, I mean, I, she barely got two sentences out before I turned around and said, shut the fuck up or get the fuck out of here. And then, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't stop. Oh, but the movie. And I got up and I went and got the management. I said, get this chick out of here. Go. She's going or we're going. Oh, wow. And I, I was pissed off. I, and the thing is, I, I, I don't have a bad temper, uh, listeners, (laughs) but I just, uh, that's my, that's one of my pet peeves, uh, is if you're going to watch a film, uh, watch it. Don't don't carry on. If you're going to go to a theater where they allow where they allow alcohol, that's fantastic. But know your limitations. Don't get so sloshed that you and 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 the thing is, this girl was on a date, mm. and I felt so bad for the guy she was with. Um, he was he looked ten shades of red. Um, but if you're going to go watch a film, watch the film. Don't get so drunk that you start carrying on. I just I I have no tolerance. I don't care if the guy is built like a brick shit house. I will tell him shut the fuck up. Or go or, or leave. You know, if you pay ten bucks, then then you paid ten bucks to watch a film. Don't impede on my ability to enjoy this film because yes, you paid ten bucks too, and you do have a right. But I also, because of the fact that we share the same space, I have rights to not have to put up with your drunk well, or just, loud it's ass. It's accepted, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you if you don't know. like the movie, just leave. leave exactly, <laughs> leave. If you if you, if the movie's that bad, I don't like his. As far as I'm, well then go, you're, get you're out of here. Into sort of like a, an implied agreement when you go to a film that Absolutely. you're not going to be doing certain behaviors, mm-hmm. or if you do, it's very brief. Right. You know, like, yeah. Like you reach over and you, you, you whisper something to your friend for a minute. Yeah, I mean like okay, right. fine, no, we can't. But like incessant talking or answering or your phone. Answering your phone or kicking your stupid chair. <laughs> 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 Even if you're a seven or eight. There's a there's a there's a breaking point, you know, where people were just gonna be like, This is not acceptable behavior. I mean, it's the socialization process, people. You just learn how to do certain things in life. And watching a movie is not rocket science. Yeah. And the thing is, most of those people who do that at a movie, they probably would not do that if they went to the theater or the symphony. Well, they probably don't go to those. Or, well, yeah, they probably don't go crazy out of the symphony. But, mm. You know, I remember uh, once uh, I was at the Detroit Film Theater, which is an art theater here um, in, in Michigan. And uh, connected to an art institute, and I was actually—it just this just popped in my head. I was in the uh, hallway outside of the theater, and I was on a cell phone. It was during the film. I was waiting for somebody who was late, and I was trying to give her directions on how to get there because she'd never been there before. And one of the ushers came out out into the hall, and there's big doors too, you know. And she says, "You know, can you take this somewhere else, or be quiet, or stop your phone call? You're." you're you know, you're disturbing others. And it was a big echoey hall, and I actually appreciated that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally, sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it just, it just didn't occur to me, you know, that my, my voice carried as much as it did. But, you know, I've said this before. I said this in that blog post, too. If I would go, uh, if, if I can find a theater here in Michigan 
that will promise to throw out texters and talkers, that will promise to enforce a rule that it will get rid of people who are being disruptive in any way, I will I will pay more money and I will drive further. I will drive past all of the other theaters yeah, me too. Absolutely. to go somewhere else Absolutely. and pay more money. I will pay a premium for that. Let in, in you know in Michigan listeners, if you know of any or theaters, if you want to let us to know, plate, I'll, I will pay more to do that because I I so often do not enjoy my cinema going experience anymore. No, in fact, I kind of like have anxiety going there. I mean, right. I don't really give a shit. People on their phone up until you know when lights go down. Oh, yeah, when they yeah, go down, you know, I mean, who cares? I'm on mine. I'm, I'm yeah. doing something on that. Sure, but you know, I turn, turn the stupid thing off, and I, I want to enjoy the film, or hopefully enjoy the film. And I can't do that if I'm constantly looking over at the bright little light ten yeah. feet away from me. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, I don't need to see your Instagram. Yeah, I don't need. You know, <laughs> yeah. Nobody does. Nobody cares. People. Yeah. So I mean, I think this, does this tie in to the original discussion? You're watching it being, wrong. Yeah, yeah you're, you're watching it wrong, right? Does this? I think it really and literally. To, to some people who might find out like a bunch of old fogies, or we're you know like kids these days, or maybe we're complaining about things that are just we should just accept. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think there are a lot of people who feel the same way. But is that is that a matter of feeling superior to the movie, or is that a matter of just not being able to pay attention? Is it a, a, the anxiety of not being connected that you can't put your phone away for two it's hours? It's rude. Is it? Well, it's just rude. I know <laughs> that, but it's like rude. It, it's so rampant. It's, it's a rudeness. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to. of rudeness in their society. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it goes to the common common critique we hear of a sense of entitlement. Yes. And that that uh, I don't want to be told how to watch this. I don't want to be told how to appreciate this film, and I certainly don't want to be told that I can't text while I'm watching it. You know. Who are you people to <laughs> right, right, yeah. to tell me how how to respond to this? As well, I don't know. I mean, I think that's part of it, but yeah, it's, I don't think we have any answers, Eric. I mean, it's it's like all, all, the only thing is is that I mean the the consensus, the common sense, logical approach to it is simple. If you're going to go to a film, don't act superior to it and stay off your damn phone. And don't, and and don't, don't talk, talk through the whole film. I mean, these are not that, like, grandiose leaps in, in sort of, like, you know, common sense. Right. Um, good God. Well, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. If they are, well... What kind of world then we, Yeah, well, then, then we truly are the kids these days. <laughs> we're, right, we're, right. We're, 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 uh, we're fossils then, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah, so there's our old fogey segment then, if that's if that's the case. So yeah, we'll definitely link to those in the show notes, and uh, I'm sure listeners will have something to say. Oh, they will, and you know what? They're gonna say anybody who likes films is gonna say yes. I agree. Yeah. People should not do this. You know? yeah. I mean, well, and if anyone disagrees, then you know, they should be listening to our podcast. Yeah. Stop talking during our podcast. <laughs> Don't text during our podcast. And if you don't like it, turn it off. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.